What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I sat down with the team from Ibex Mercado, Jose and Juan Pablo Limas, a brother co-founder team in Esteban de la Peña, uh, to talk about what's going on in Guatemala and El Salvador. This, this episode will make you bullish, freaks. That's all I'll say. Please forgive. Uh, I'm going to edit out. I think I'm going to edit out the technical difficulties. I am going to edit out the tef- technical difficulties in the middle. Four years in. More than four years in. Still trying to figure it out. Maybe I need a producer. Anybody in Austin want to help me produce stuff? Seriously. Uh, I do want to get uh, a, a studio set up where we can easily do video recording in high def the correct way. Willing to pay. Let me know if you're in Austin. Preferably in person. This rip was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. <clears throat> cash App set what you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, sell sets, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 Because sats are the standards. 100 million Satoshis and one whole Bitcoin. You call them Satoshis. Most people call them sats, though. You don't have to stack a whole Bitcoin, a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can stack whole sats instead. Cash App makes it extremely easy. <clears throat> you DCA into sats. You can buy on impulse. You can buy when it hits a certain price. It's a beautiful thing. Cash App's an incredible app. It can be your bank account. You can get your paychecks direct, direct deposited in it. It comes with a debit card as well. You can personalize that. It has uh, uh, perks too. You can get cash back or sats back via their boost program. Go check it all out if you haven't already. Use the code stacking sats. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, you're going to get $10 and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Owls lacrosse. This route was also brought to you by your very good friends at Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is here to help you eliminate single points of failure. And nothing allows you to do that better with Unchained than their collaborative custody Volt product. Okay, the way it works is a two or three multi-sig Volt. You hold two keys, Unchained holds one key. Uh, you can always move your UTXs in and out of the Volt at your own volition. Uh, however, if you're ever in a pinch and you need Unchained to be there in the two or three multi-sig signature, uh, they are there. Multi-signature, signature. That's basically what I just said. The multi-sig setup. Uh, again, eliminating single points of failure is important. Uh, single points of failure. Examples of those, of those are holding your ex- coins on an exchange. That exchange can get rug pulled. Uh, that exchange can get told by regulators to not let you get your Bitcoin. You want to make sure that you have control of your keys. Another way, if you have control of your keys, is having a single point of failure is having a single key. Uh, with a poorly backed up seed phrase uh, and and a wallet that you'll lose. If you lose that wallet and that poorly backed up seed phrase, you're shit out of luck. you got to distribute your risk. And Unchained does that with their Vault product. They're offering a white glove concierge service that's going to take you from zero to having a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in a multi-sig Vault. Uh, They're going to have multiple video conference calls with you. You're going to get you comfortable multi-sig in their Vault product specifically. They're going to get you hardware wallets. They're going to get you uh, comfortable setting those up and securing those pass phrases or excuse me seed phrases that back them up you can add a pass phrase as well on top of that seed phrase uh they're gonna get you all set up with a vault and once it's set up they're gonna dump a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats into that vault so go check out everything they got going on at unchained.com if you want to do the white glove concierge service and you're gonna buy the package tell them tftc sent you're gonna get 50 dollars off uh, if you just want to check it out, they're doing uh, single one-on-one consultations, too, to get you comfortable before you buy the whole package. Uh, go check out that product and all the content they're putting out at Unchained. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Compass. Compass Mining. Compass Mining is here to get more individuals into 
the mining game. They want more individual ownership of hash rate. This helps Bitcoin become more sufficiently distributed. This is important. Uh, you don't only want to have it uh, distributed geographically. You want to have it distributed amongst more players too. Smaller players can help in aggregate a bunch of smaller players owning mining rigs and running mining rigs and contributing to the security of the network is a good thing. Compass makes it easy. You can mine at home via Compass. You can buy an ASIC. Go to compassmining.io. You buy an ASIC, they'll send it to you. And they have at-home mining services where, where they have support that will teach you how to plug your miner in, what electrical infrastructure you need, how to connect to a pool, all that good stuff. They also have partners uh, in the hosting space with competitive electricity rates. If you don't want to host at your own house, you can buy the ASIC on Compass Mining and then pick a hosting facility where that will get plugged in. And you'll just have SAT stream to a wallet of your choice. I believe they just added, I believe I saw Wit tweeting about the fact that they're adding uh, pay as you, not pay as you go, but uh, payment plans where you don't have to buy an ASIC. ASICs are very expensive these days. Um, they're trying to get more people into the game, as I said earlier. And a good way to do that is via payment uh, payment plans that allow you to pay a little at a time to get your ASIC. It's a beautiful thing. Go check everything they out got going at compassmining.io, C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. If you use the link, in the show notes to buy an ASIC that helps the show out a little bit. And we like getting helped out a little bit. Last but not least, this rip was brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains is the team behind Slushpool and the team behind the auto-tuning firmware, Brains OS Plus. Okay, Brains OS Plus is going to help you stack more sats with your hash. What they do is they uh, focus on the higher frequency uh, chips on the ASIC board and they focus the electricity on that. So you're going to get more efficiency and more juice out of your ASIC. They're going to increase the hash rate and thus increasing the amount of sats you get for mining. Uh, they've been building this for some time. It's available for a bunch of models. Uh, they're working on the S19. That's a, uh, a public beta. Uh, they've got the What's Miners running in the office. Uh, What's Miner soon, TM. Uh, again, Slushbull had an update this summer. It makes flexible payouts very easy. Uh, you can set up multiple accounts under your... Your main account, uh, if you have partners in a mining operation, to pay out that uh, that more easily. Uh, and they're doing a lot of good things on the information front. Go to brains.com, B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com, to check out everything they have to offer. Uh, brains OS Plus firmware, you'll be able to get to Slush Pool there. Um, if you're running Brains OS Plus firmware on one of your devices, which you should be if you're not, you're leaving sats on the table, you don't have to point your hash at Slush Pool. But if you do, you're going to get 0% pool fees, which is a nice little vig there. Uh, something else to mention. Yes, they're hiring. If you're a Rust developer, system admin, or worked in the hardware space before, check them out. An incredible Bitcoin-only team that has been focused on Bitcoin and hyper-focused on making sure that Bitcoin is sufficiently distributed. This uh, personifies itself. I don't know if it personifies itself, but it plays out uh, in their work on Stratum V2 and other aspects of the open-source Bitcoin project. Enjoy this, Rip Freaks. There's good people doing very good things around the world to bring Bitcoin to the masses. Tiki. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should be. Awesome. Nice.
and we're live. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here on a lovely Monday morning, getting the, getting the week started off on a high note. F1 week here in Austin, Texas, but we're here sitting down with a team from Guatemala, uh, the Ibex Mercado team. We're sitting down with brother co-founders, Jose and Juan Limas uh, and Esteban de la Pena. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Nice. Thank Thanks, you. Uh, thank you for, Thanks having, for having us, Marty. Well, excited to be here. Long time listeners, huh? Well, thank yeah. you for that. Big uh, fans. Big fans. <laughs> that's uh, it's flattering. Uh, I'm big fans of you guys. So I guess to set the stage for all the freaks out there, I met uh, one of your, I guess he's a lead engineer or one of your engineers, Carlino, in Nashville a few weeks ago when I was up there and he was telling me about everything you guys are building down in Guatemala and El Salvador uh, as El Salvador uh, rolled out their their Bitcoin law this summer and I just thought the work that you guys are putting in down there is extremely impressive and wanted to get you guys on the podcast to discuss what's happening in Central America because obviously I'm up up here in the United States and in Texas now uh, this podcast has been very US centric uh, and I, I just think it's very important to get a, a different perspective on the show. And I think you guys have uh, an incredible one, considering the work that you guys have been doing the last six months, particularly. Uh, so I, I guess we can start. Carlino, give us a little background before we hit record here. Ibex Mercado started 2017, 2018. Is that correct? That's correct. And what, uh, what drove you guys to start uh, the company? Well, uh, in 2017, I was basically out of, out of a job by choice, by choice. I, uh, I wanted to, you know, um, move away from what I have been doing traditionally. And so in 2017, I finally could. Uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, I had moved to the Netherlands to do her LLM her master's in business. And so I went, I tagged along. And while I was in the Netherlands, I thought, you know, what can I do? So as everyone would like to do, I became a day trader. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, uh, but I had actually found out about Bitcoin in 2012. And I, I loved it. And I tried to buy some. But at that time in Guatemala, like I was the only uh, guy registered in local Bitcoins. And there wasn't really a market. The only market was empty gots, right? And so I tried to send money. Go. I was going to say we have a local local Bitcoins OG on the show. That's, uh, that's impressive. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the empty gots thing, I tried to send money. To their bank account in Japan, but the wire kept, kept getting bounced because of uh, just uh, Guatemala was uh, on the banking blacklist. I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware of that or how that works. Guatemala was why? Why was Guatemala, Guatemala specifically on a blacklist? Well, at that point, I believe. Oh, both so it works that rating system for countries, right? It's yellow, orange, red, black. 
And so what happened was that um, Guatemala, because of their banking secrecy, was on the blacklist. And so nobody would take wire transfers from Guatemala. It'd be like, uh, you have to have a commercial contract. The bank asks why you're sending money. And you don't have a commercial relationship and invoices and all that stuff. You just get bounced. So couldn't really buy Bitcoin then. I logged in, was uh, one of the first users in Coinbase uh, when they were giving away like 30 bucks or something like that. But again, because I'm Guatemalan, they wouldn't open the account, which irks me to this day because they keep sending me mails like, why don't you finish your setup? You don't want me. And so finally, yeah, finally, 2017, I, uh, because I was living abroad, I was able to buy my first Bitcoin and then reconnected with it, started looking into it. Um, and, and then I called my brother and I told him, listen, you remember Bitcoin? We talked about it way back. And, uh, and he said, yeah, I remember. I, I'm telling him, listen, this is, this is about to take off. I have this feeling, right? And, and I thought it was going to be about to take off because it had just had a slight run-up uh, on the news of Japan making it uh, a legal currency. Mm-hmm. Not legal tender like El Salvador, but just had legalized the use of, of Bitcoin in Japan. And there were stores in Japan accepting Bitcoin and all this stuff. And so I told him, listen, one country made it legal. This is very good news. And so he started, like, we started putting a little bit of money in and a little bit of money in. And, um, and then we started reading a whole bunch. We got into the whole ICO craze, everything. But our core was always Bitcoin, right? And so at one point, uh, I told him uh, something along the lines that I don't want to live in a world where Bitcoin doesn't succeed. So I'm gonna just see how much cash I can get together that I'm not gonna need. And then I'm gonna buy, everything else is gonna go into Bitcoin. And I did. I, I put pretty much all of my money into Bitcoin at that time. And then once I ran out of money, I called my brother again and I said, because he had done the same thing as we were moving together, right? And so I called him up and I said, listen, we, we, we put all our cash into this. We put all the money we put into this, but I want to do more. I, uh, I want to put... Uh, you know, my work, my energy, my effort into helping Bitcoin succeed. And, and then we started like uh, throwing ideas around what we could do in this space. And, you know, we had this idea of setting up a Bitcoin embassy and we had this, a bunch of ideas, just a bunch of ideas. But eventually one day uh, I, you know, talking 
we came to the realization that if you don't have access points, you know, on ramps or Bitcoin, then everything else doesn't really matter. And so, and we knew that because coming from Guatemala and having such a difficult time, you know, getting into Bitcoin, not because we didn't know about it, not because we didn't want to, but just because it was practically impossible to do it unless you had like a different passport or were abroad and that type of stuff. We said, it's really important for our countries to have easy access to this. And that's where I got started. Hell yeah. So you noticed a disconnection in the market where Bitcoin was taking off around the world. You were able to access it in the Netherlands. Uh, you had not been able to access it in Guatemala. So you decided, fuck it, I'll build my own exchange. <laughs> Make sure that, that people like me can, can get access in Guatemala. And, and what was it? Pretty much. <laughs> Little did we know what it would take. <laughs> well, let's, get, let's get into that. What, what did it take? What was it like? Yeah. Starting from zero, like, all right, let's start a Bitcoin exchange. What's that like? Well, tough. Um, you, you have, you know, the first thing we built, like we spent a year building out a trading engine and uh, this very sophisticated piece of software. And uh, we came to market and it was DOA. Just dead. And, and the reason was twofold. One, uh, Guatemala is basically a Bitcoin importing country. You know, there's no miners, people that earn Bitcoin here, it's not, we don't have self pressure. There's only buy pressure. And so that was hard. And then the other thing that was really hard is that there's very little financial literacy. So we go out and first you have to cross the hurdle of convincing somebody that they want to buy Bitcoin, right? So that, and that's a tall word. That's, that's very difficult as you probably know yourself. But then once they get convinced and they say, okay, I'll buy Bitcoin with, and with you guys. And then we have to go to, to explain how, our, how an order book works, how a limit order works, how a market order works, how a filler kill, and all of this just completely new world, we lost them. Like people here wanted to just buy Bitcoin, like, oh, like you buy a t-shirt, right? Mm. You go, how much is that t-shirt? 15 bucks. Okay, I'll take it. And, and so we just had to throw all of that work in the trash and start on you. We hooked up with uh, some pretty awesome liquidity partners in the U.S. And, uh, and became more of a broker service and access point at that point in time and and that's where it really started to get traction i like that phrase uh guatemala is uh, only providing buy pressure and something i like to hear so it's uh so yeah, so you so first attempt first go around you, you had essentially trouble creating a marketplace a two-sided marketplace and so you went to get liquidity via U.S. Probably provider. Always a tiny word. <laughs> uh, and so, what? What finally like started? Like obviously, 
you became more of a brokerage service. And so it just became easier for people to use Ibex Mercado to just buy Bitcoin. And, and is it true that you guys operate similar to the way Swan Bitcoin does here in the United States where people can't hold Bitcoin or Ibex or am I misconstruing that? No, that is correct. We're non-custodial. Mm-hmm. Uh, although because uh, of how there's no banking APIs in Central America, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to do everything manually. So it takes a, a little bit longer to deliver the Bitcoin. So we'll keep it, but we'll keep it a couple of minutes or a couple of hours, not not forever. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not interested. Uh, part of it is is we want people to to hold their Bitcoin because we think it's important. But also part of it is has to do with uh, liability exposure, right? The less money you keep from other people, uh, the less problems you have. Yeah. No, and I actually sort of like these market forced frictions that actually force people to, to use Bitcoin, what many would deem the correct way off the bat, um, starting with self-custody and just throwing people into the deep end. Some people say it's dangerous, but people are going to have to learn. I think it's important. It's a 10-minute talk. It's just really 10 minutes. You explain, you talk, and that's it. And, and it's totally worth it. I think also in the learning part, if I can chip in into that, Jose, was um, when you guys started out and, and we started talking together, because I met uh, Juan Pablo in a, in a, at a hackathon I organized once back in 2017 and um i think also the, the the technical part people are not really used too much of in, in using an app for for something this sophisticated like you know putting big amounts of money on something and you don't have a real person behind that is is talking to you felt very weird for the market and i think one of the biggest success uh, the keys to our success has been that you know we've been really straight up with real people at the beginning, it was just us three, I remember. And, and the goal is, you know, by now, what we do in a day is probably what we did in the first year. <laughs> uh, you know, it was really just the fact that they could, our customers could talk to us directly and they would, they would write to us and then you would explain to them in this 10-minute talk on why self-custody is important and how to do it. And, and then, you know, once you, you do the first step, and once they start buying, they automatically just creates more curiosity and then they go deeper into it and then they see, and, and you know, you just provide the, the, the tools for them to do the proper self-custody and that's it. Mm-hmm. It's super easy, really. Um, and, and I think by now, um, yeah, when we've had a couple of talks like on the crashes, when, when our customers talk to us like, oh, I'm getting nervous, should I sell? And it's definitely nobody <laughs> sell here. You can sell here. No sell button. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, so you, you become like a, like their psychologist or a therapist at some point. It's I know what fun. that's like. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've been I've been in that position as well as somebody who's been shilling Bitcoin for quite a while. And so, what what are, are your recommendations when they come to ask you about self custody? Like go to wallets, or do you let them? You pushing them towards information resources where they can decide for themselves what wallet works best for them. You recommend mobile. We recommend we recommend a couple of wallets and um, not not to. I don't know how you feel about plugs or not here. Uh, we're not 
working with them or anything, but um, through our experience and through us doing our custody, uh, we usually recommend Tresor Wallet for, for our customers for cold storage. You know, once you get above a certain amount. Before, uh, a cell phone wallet is good enough, we feel. But let's say once you start keeping real money, let's say over a thousand bucks, we generally try to steer people towards a hardware wallet solution. Yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, I'm adjusting my volume here. They're doing construction, uh, I think, on the block behind me. That's what that loud noise was. But no, I mean, again, I really appreciate and like the fact that, that people are being forced to, to learn how to self-custody early on in their Bitcoin journey. And I think, like, what would you guys say? Do you, like, Obviously, I'm sure you've heard uh, the the alarm bells that some people will send off like, Oh, you shouldn't push people into self custody right away. Like they're going to shoot themselves in the foot, like from experience running this exchange, what do you see? Do you think that's a bit overblown? Do you think people sort of get it and get comfortable with it? I think, I think uh, there's a couple of things here. But first of all, um, there is a, a very big difference between banking in the U S and banking in Guatemala our countries. Here, and it's one of the reasons that I really got Bitcoin, I would like to say I got 80% of Bitcoin's value proposition the first time I read the white paper. And it's because of what happens uh, with our banking partners here in Guatemala. Here, you're very, very aware that your money is not your money if you have it in a bank. Like it's palpable, right? It's front and center. So, for example, here, um, you can't withdraw cash. Like, I think the limit is like 10,000 quetzales, which is like a little over $1,000. And if you go with a check that's bigger than that, they won't give it out in cash. Um, they, uh, I've been through uh, a banking bankruptcy. One of our banks uh, went... Actually, in the 2000s, two different Guatemalan banks went bankrupt. And, and uh, some of the money was just not returned. You just gone. Oof. And, and then finally, at any point in time, the banks here can just freeze your accounts for uh, whatever reason. Like here, um, there's a weird thing that happens legally with presumption of innocence, where sometimes, um, depending on, on the charge, you have to prove you're innocent, and then you're considered guilty until you prove your innocence. And so, for example, if an employee goes and uh, files a claim against your business, uh, your bank accounts are frozen until you prove that what that employee said is a lie. And that can take years. Yeah, so. I, do, I actually used to work for a company that was based out of uh, Ecuador and Colombia. And I do remember that being a thing. They were really worried about uh, employees uh, basically making claims like you just described um, and getting, yeah. getting caught up. Yeah. And, and so the thing is that if you come from that environment, like Bitcoin's 
unconfiscability is absolutely you don't have to sell me on it. It's, it's a no-brainer. Absolutely, nobody should have access to my money but me. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that this mentality exists. And again, like I said in the beginning of the episode, we we get stuck, particularly here in America, in this Western view of the world. And again, that's that was sort of the thing that really popped into my mind, like something that stuck with me for the few weeks after having a conversation with Carlino in Nashville is like people people think like all these Western companies are going to build the infrastructure of Bitcoin, but I think it's going to be like the Central Americas, Africas of the world. People actually have very, very large problems, like the banking problems you just described. They're going to build Bitcoin infrastructure the right way, um, which seems to be what you guys are doing in El Salvador. I'm sorry for the loud bangs. And the position no, of Bitcoin is much greater in Central America and Latin America than it is in the Western countries or the first developed first world nations. Because here you've got not just the custody part. A lot of people, I lived in Mexico for a bunch of years and people don't, just don't want to use the banks. And you've got the devaluing currency, the rapidly devaluing currency. So Bitcoin is only volatile upwards in this uh, environment. <laughs> Even if in dollar yeah. terms it loses half its value, in Argentinian pesos terms it's never been down this year. So, uh, so the value proposition, it's like you take the value proposition of Bitcoin and you multiply that by a hundred or a thousand. And that's how we see it in these countries how that what is considered difficult to use or a barrier to entry in some other parts it's uh, easier to to fix here or rather the value proposition is, is stronger in the latin american economies yeah. yeah i have this quote i i like to say in the first world bitcoin is a luxury in the third world it's a I'm just going to repeat that because you froze, but uh, to quote uh, Jose is in, in the first world or in the developing oh, so economies, funny. Bitcoin is, uh, is a luxury and in our developing economies and this one, um, it's a necessity by far. It's just a necessity. So if you look at the incentive structures, the incentive structure is there for, for us to push hyper Bitcoinization, you know, from, from the center of the world to the rest, because it, it just works. That's the whole point of Bitcoin. It works. <laughs> so how do you see it progressing here? Obviously we had El Salvador come out with the Bitcoin law this summer. They've implemented it. You have President Bukele uh, shit posting on Twitter about volcano mining and uh, essentially he, the law in El Salvador is forced many multinational corporations uh, to uh, accept Bitcoin. And you guys have been helping them out with with uh, basically that functionality. I believe you, some of the large cart I saw, I just took a spin down your Twitter page today. I saw you tweeting about Starbucks and helping them out. Um, what other companies have you been helping out? And what's that process been like? Uh, are they coming to you like, all right, we have no idea how to accept Bitcoin. Like, what what are we doing here? Uh, how can you guys well, help? What do we need to be looking yeah. at? No, well, um, the thing with the Bitcoin announcement is that for as great as it was for 
for everybody in Bitcoin, right? Because we were just as caught up in the moment as everybody else. Uh, the fact of the matter is, it puts a lot of pressure on a lot of people that are not ready to accept Bitcoin and mainly confidence. So um, how we started, like after the euphoria died down, uh, we sat down and we thought about this long and hard and all of the implications, right? And we thought, listen, um, this, is, this is great, but we need to go about the business and business owners and the corporations, the individual. Like, for example, you have a bunch of wallets, you can do self custody fairly easily and everything, but uh, it's, it's very difficult if you're a business that's unacceptable because there are ready made solutions. There's no off the shelf. There's uh, Jose, no sorry to interrupt. Shelf. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I think we might just need to cut your video to make sure that um, your audio comes in as clear as possible. Okay, I'll cut it. Yeah. Um, okay, give me, give me a second. I'll, I'll switch Wi-Fi really fast here. Maybe Stephen can uh, fill in. Sure. I'll fill in. I'll talk about this. I'll time. tell the, the, a little bit about the story of how how it all came about because we were in um, in Miami. A team of us with Carlos, me, Mario, uh, and other friends, and Alvaro. We were in, in Miami for the Bitcoin conference when this came out. And we everybody kind of knew something very important was coming, but nobody knew the actual, that it was going to be, you know, become legal tender. I mean, positively, I thought this was going to happen in the next five years, realistically, in the next 10, not now. <laughs> and in our neighboring country, which is, uh, you know, the second largest economy we have, we interact with. Um, Guatemala and El Salvador have very strong ties. Uh, because they're so small, so we, you know, they bring a lot of stuff from us and, and vice versa. But they came out. So we were jumping. We were there with uh, um, with Bitcoin Beach, um, uh, Peterson, Michael Peterson. We were really jumping with him, holding his hand, almost crying, you know, just jumping around outside like crazy. Uh, and, and then... As Jose was saying, the euphoria, euphoria died down a couple of days. It took a couple of days. And then we were, okay, what, what are we going to do? What's what's the real deal here? Are we just yeah. going to be an OTC service as we're doing yeah. here in Guatemala or not? And and so, guys, just a quick check. Is this better? Yeah. Yeah, you're coming in loud and clear. Yeah. Okay, cool. So what I was saying uh, previously is that Bitcoin is really easy for the individual, but very hard for the corporation, for the enterprise. Because when you're a business, and I'm not talking about, you know, you own a bar and your finances are the bar's finances and vice versa. I mean, when you're a large corporation, when you're a Starbucks, when you're a McDonald's, how do you handle it? How do you bring it into your treasury? How do you spend it if you want to spend it? Who's going to have access to those bitcoins? And all of this, right now, it's all DIY. So we thought immediately we have to get some solutions ready for our, you know, the, the enterprise for, for corporations because we have to onboard them. We cannot leave them behind. This is going to take two. Like uh, Bitcoin takes, takes more. And if we really want Bitcoin to take hold, 
we got to get businesses comfortable with dealing with Bitcoin and using it. And so that was our focus uh, when we started. Uh, and so the first thing we thought was, uh, you know, Bitcoin, if, we're, if you're going to accept the Bitcoin payments, the only reasonable solution is like, you have to forget about on-chain. On-chain transaction is for final settlement for other use cases. If you want to go buy a cup of coffee, you use Lightning. And so we developed uh, our, our Lightning infrastructure to push out to El Salvador. Um, how how intense was that? Super intense. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, what's the channel management like for these? <laughs> Look at uh, JP's yeah. eyes. That, you know, that, that First of all, <laughs> you have to know that his uh, name is actually Master of Channels. So as Master of Channels, what uh, what is the the uh, main maintenance of, of the Lightning Network implementation been like on your side, Juan Pablo? Yeah, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of unknowns still. Yeah, there's some intricacies with running channels. I read, someone published a really good article and it started out with managing your liquidity is more an art form than a science. <laughs> and for the time being, this holds true. And you don't know what to expect. Initially, that was a big hurdle. We reached out to a lot of the Lightning community. Uh, some shout out to the Lightning Labs guys. We've got Evan from CU's Wallet. We talked with the guys from CBD. Andre gave us some of his time. Ben from LMBit. All the community, they were great. They were very generous. And I'm leaving a lot of people out. And at first, we didn't know what to expect. And now that we have some metrics, it's still a challenge because they are evolving constantly. And keeping your challenge channels healthy is, uh, is not straightforward. But And I want to segue just into a comment. I think that Bitcoin adoption will happen in different tiers of self-custody and also different uh, tiers for the businesses that are handling Bitcoin. And the first thing is that people still denominate their lives in the local currency in the Salvador, it's dollars. So they need an easy way to keep receiving dollars even if they are getting paid in Bitcoin. And that's the first piece of the puzzle. And that can happen for the individual, mainly for the businesses. And if this is easy, the adoption will happen bottom up because at first you'll just take in dollars, but you're already using Bitcoin. And once you have the ease of just with a click of a button, instead of having dollars in your account, you have Bitcoin in your account, making the transition to holding part of your wealth in Bitcoin or part of your salary in Bitcoin or part of what yeah, you I take think in, it, in Bitcoin. Yeah. It's a, it's kinda, up. Uh, sorry. No, I, you're coming in loud and clear for me, Juan. I was hearing it. I think oh, it's so inside just... the internet. So yeah, it's a, so you're going to have a bottom up adoption, I think. And people will, the, the 
most important thing we've seen is to people just get comfortable using Bitcoin. And if using Bitcoin means doing it like they with a strike, and I think that was a stroke of genius that you can keep your, well, I don't like USDT, but <laughs> that's beside the point, but you can have a, people can feel comfortable with having something they consider stable and then they can do the migration to Bitcoin, but they're already doing the Bitcoin experience. And once you do the lightning experience, you don't want to go back to anything else. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. mind blowing how, if you haven't experienced lightning, go just download one of the custodial wallets guys and try it out. It's really life changing. And that's what I can see now. It's so easy to use and it gives you control of your money because you are in direct control of your Bitcoin and depending on your technical knowledge and how much time you spend on it, you can go from full custody all the way through half and half, maybe have custody on chain and uh, have a self custody on chain and uh, a custodial service for the lightning network, or you can do mixed custody. And it's really great, the flexibility it offers. And I think that's the way to really adopt Bitcoin on a personal level, and then it will happen uh, on a, a merchant level and uh, on a business level. Mm -hmm. And so how, uh, how has it been for the, uh, I don't want to, again, we pre-discuss, I don't want you guys to break any NDAs or anything, but I think this is a broad enough question. Like, have you uh, noticed any of your uh, enterprise customers begin to grok Bitcoin a bit more as you guys have been building out the, the tools to allow them to, to accept it and potentially custody it um, themselves? Have, have you seen any of them have somewhat of an aha moment? Like, oh, maybe I do want to keep 10% of this revenue in Bitcoin or something like that. Well, it's interesting because... Uh... We do have a couple that are keeping of what they receive in Bitcoin because it's it's a percentage of sales, and then if you keep that small percentage of sales in Bitcoin, it doesn't matter. So we do have customers. One was already a Bitcoiner, which it was really good to find out, and then the other ones are. They were Bitcoiners before, but they're interested in it and they see it as a way of dollar cost averaging into it. I would like to tell a little anecdote on that one because um, before the seventh, the week before we started training people how to use our tool and we rented out a, you know, a conference room in, in a hotel and, and then the customers started to pile in. I think over 200 people, 200 people came in. I, I trained them personally. And, and the people, just to clarify, that were uh, employees from the businesses that were using the Bitcoin payment terminal we provided. Yeah. So um, in general, what you have is Salvadorians had like PTSD just from the dollarization process. They thought like everything was going to be super expensive. And seeing the price of Bitcoin at that time, what was it, 30 something? They thought it was whoa, super expensive. So they, they thought everything was just going to explode. And we took, you know, the hour, hour and a half we had with them, depending on, on, on the customer. I really took like 70% or more of the time just explaining Bitcoin. What, what is Bitcoin and the purpose of Bitcoin and the opportunity that they have and, and why they should self-custody, right? <laughs> and um, 
it's impressive when once they notice that you know this is actually deflationary and, and you put it in terms that they can grasp like deflation what it means and because they've only lived inflation right so it's 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 contrary to their nature to understand what deflation really means and and once you understand it then just an aha moment the bombs exploded in their head and it was funny because out of that now i mean i think i hope those people they took down they like downloaded the achievable and took out the the 30 dollars that's what i also explained to them and how to use it our solution is so simple that took you know if much 30 percent. it was just how to set up your user you create your bitcoin payment terminal and then you're pretty much good to go you just put how many dollars the product costs accept you have a qr code you scan it and you pay it and that's it so that's all we had to explain so we really used that time to to explain bitcoin and in general um i think we're going to see it over time right now this push right now really helped and and what's happening right now in the price action is is for sure helping people to understand bitcoin and why they should save bitcoin i think the general um idea and the the concept that we always convey and and and, and expresses you have to save in bitcoin that's the whole point it's the only savings technology that we've had as latin americans where right now uh we can have a little bit of a piece of the internet of money and the internet of money is going to be used by 90 percent of, of of everybody of the whole society so now you can you have the advantage to save it and as a salvadorian you have the advantage of saving it as a currency which means you're not paying capital gain taxes by the way, here in Guatemala, there's also a law that backs us up that buying Bitcoin, you don't pay capital gain taxes. So that has made a big, big, uh, you know, um, and it's just a huge advantage. We can hold as much Bitcoin as we can and nothing will happen. You don't have to pay taxes. So, um, but the law is different though. The, here in Guatemala, the law is different. It's based on if you have an asset that is in, in a foreign country, and it's earning or producing yield in a foreign country, you don't pay yield on that. And that was basically made for, I'll put it in very blunt terms, like for the rich people to buy, you know, shares of Tesla, whatever, and you don't pay taxes on that here. So that's not changing anytime soon. And that applies to Bitcoin as well. And that, that has given us a huge advantage on the market. I think a lot of Guatemalans are understanding that. And then again, that's why self-custody is important. But the effect that I'm going to, that I think, or I hope to see in, from El Salvador is that when people start saving and in just a little bit, the remittances that start to come in are going to make such a you know big pressure. And now it makes sense to save that that will push throughout the region. That I think remittances is gonna push adoption a lot because it's just so cheap to, to send money now to El Salvador. I mean, it's three basis points or it's zero. So, <laughs> you know, how, how are you going to compare that to 30 to 15% what they're usually paying? The Guatemalan is going to ask the Salvadorian, what? You're not paying anything? And you're still saving and it works? Well, and so that leads me to the question, like, do you think that puts pressure on other uh, governments in Central and South America to adopt laws similar to the one that El Salvador did, maybe not in the exact form uh, that, that El Salvador implemented, but something that, that makes Bitcoin 
uh, easier to use, more acceptable, uh, and, and gives more certainty around individuals using using it as an everyday currency. Well, what's interesting there, Matt, is that, and I think the ramifications of the legal tender status of Bitcoin in El Salvador have not been fully realized, is that there are bilateral trade agreements between most free countries where you will recognize the other country's legal tender as a currency. So right now, I know that there's a lot of pushback and politicians saying like, no, this is only legal tender in Salvador, it's not a currency, what have you. But this is gonna impact, it's gonna have wide, uh, wide reaching uh, uh, consequences because uh, even in the US, you know, you, you have this law where you recognize another country's legal tender as a currency. So um, the thing is that this is, not going to be decided here. It's not going to be decided soon. This is probably going to be fought in the Hague. But unless you want to change your bilateral trade agreements and your current laws to exclude a particular currency or legal tender from this treatment, you have to say it, it is a currency, right? And the law is very clear on this point. I know, and I know. <laughs> well, it seems, I, like I here, it seems like here uh, in the U.S. and in the Western world in general, all the politicians are just like trying to rub that, uh, brush that fact under the rug. Um, yeah, and just ignore it. As well in Guatemala, we, we have, there was a talk with guys from the, uh, uh, super, the superintendent, uh, the banking superintendent, and he was saying, like, oh, even if it's legal tender, we don't have to, you know, it doesn't make it a currency, right? Which is just uh, false logic. Right. And uh, and so, like I said, this is not going to be decided here. This is going to be decided in The Hague, most probably, which is where all of these international agreements uh, take place. But as far as law as it's currently written it's very unambiguous if it's legal tender it's a currency so exactly and we should be lean, we should just be leaning into this all around the world because i mean it's like an, it's an international trade agreement correct and yeah yeah and what will catapult this is having people just use bitcoin even if they don't know they're using bitcoin and what we're building out is making it easy for people to use bitcoin first in el salvador bringing it to the other regions guatemala we're based here so bringing it to guatemala and people are going to be using it already and if enough people have bitcoin they'll and use bitcoin they'll get interested in holding it and uh, i really like a phrase esteban uses and it's it doesn't matter what price you bought Bitcoin at. What matters is how long you wait before you spend that Bitcoin. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen here. Enough time will pass with people using Bitcoin that they will grasp, they will live with the implications of using this hard money that is gaining value over time. And this will make bottom-up pressure to adopt Bitcoin and uh, local authority will not 
be able to just go out and say stupid things like, no, it's legal tender, but since it was not uh, emitted by a sovereign nation, you cannot use it. Uh, it. We will not consider it valid. That's crazy, man. And people will have enough interest vested in Bitcoin that they will push uh, their institutions into accepting what is already written in law. Yeah, I have a little bit of a different uh, perspective on this. And it has to do more with infrastructure. Our business, what we're really doing is uh, we're building the the financial infrastructure of the 21st century. And by we, I mean everybody that's doing uh, work on the uh, Bitcoin lightning slash lightning infrastructure. So this is going to be the infrastructure for the financial systems of the 21st century. Uh, there's a very clear uh, and obvious reason for this. And the reason is everything right now is running on 50 plus year old technology. Everything in the banks. Like Swift, I think it's 70 years old and everybody runs it. And what this does is that it creates an immense amount of friction at all levels. Because if we think that Swift is what underpins all of the financial ecosystems right now, and then you start layering things on top, right? And then you have, finally, you have the credit card companies, which is where your instant spending comes from, supposedly. So, but that instant payment that happened when you go, go to Starbucks, so to speak, that's not instant. That takes days to settle. And that is the big difference between Bitcoin and everything that came before it, where it is instant settlement. Even lightning transactions are instant settled. The reason why is because you have uh, basically escrows. So every Bitcoin in the lightning network has to be committed by somebody, right? So you cannot spend a Bitcoin in lightning that hasn't been already put into the network. However, that happens. So you are having instant settlement across all your infrastructure. And not only that, you have way less friction. So, you know, that's, that, that's what we're doing. Um, that's, that's what we believe in. And I think the, the important thing here is being able to transmit all of these savings, all this new technology to businesses, to financial institutions. And they can see for themselves that it works better. And now we have to show them how to make money with it. Yeah, I mean, so passively stacking sats can can be a big thing for businesses. It's so it's so simple that it's yeah. so difficult. <laughs> but but not only that. Like for example, right now payment processing is a huge issue. Right now, mm -hmm. most places in the U.S. They pay like 2%, right? Which you say, okay, it's not a lot. But that's 2% has to come out. That comes out of your net, right? It doesn't, no, it comes out of your gross, not from your net. 
So, for example, if you're um, if you're and you sell hundred k, that two percent is two k. But if from that ten, you know that hundred k, you only keep ten percent as net. Then that two percent is two thousand out of the ten thousand you were supposed to earn. So that's twenty percent. That's a huge amount of money for a business. And what happens if you move to Lightning? That goes down to what? To one percent? To half a percent? To point three percent? To nothing percent? Yeah, that is. I mean, that is money because then you're not talking about. Two percent. You're talking about reducing that twenty percent to five percent to three percent. Yeah. You're gonna tell me businesses are not interested in that? Well, not only are they interested. I mean, you can you can make a very strong argument that it is in the best interest of shareholders to to adopt that. Like if they don't, and it is, and it is, it is absolutely. Yeah, I think and the so, key but, also. But, but we have to demystify it. Mm-hmm. We have to bring it down to real world applications, like I explained to you. Okay, it's gonna bring your 20% down to this percent, right? By making this move. And you have to give them the tools that to that they are in control of their finances, because that's the other thing here. We can't go out with you know some janky tools like, oh yeah, and, and here everybody's gonna have a wallet and, and everybody's gonna spend, and then you have to consolidate funds. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. We have to build enterprise-level tools for these customers, and they'll be incentivized uh, to to you know go out and ask their customers. You know, I'd rather you pay me in Bitcoin. I'll supersize your drink. I'll make another small promo. Pay me in Bitcoin. And I think that's going to happen soon because what you just heard from from Jose is. I think it's also one of the key of why we have so many customers and so big ones, because we were able to talk or Jose was able to talk in the correct language so that the accountant would understand. The accountant is the key person. Makes or breaks the whole thing because you're paying him to tell, you know, tell you no, basically that's what you're paying him. So you had to first convince the, the, the head, right? But the accountant, he needs a way to put it into his books. He needs a way to make monetary sense out of this. And, and the, the big hurdle with Bitcoin is that you can understand all these arguments and everything, but until you don't live it, you don't really know it, right? So, so you hear it and, and you start, you always start slowly and then it just it's suddenly and then slowly and then suddenly, right? Yeah. And that, that, that same way is, is just with human nature and how do we understand and use technology have to start very slowly so i do hope that over the the time we start seeing that customers start understanding this and they start going down on the percentage of dollars that they have in their bank account and we made that function super easy it's just a slider you Mm -hmm. just have to slide it you know and and i think we spend a lot of time explaining that that function just have to slide it you know, slowly, you're not going to get 90% of your transaction suddenly in Bitcoin. I mean, if, if it's 10%, that's awesome. So, you know, mm-hmm. go sliding. If you're one of these multinational corporations, like why not? Like, like how large is the El Salvadorian market compared to the rest of their operations? And like how much would it hurt to take 100% of those revenues in Bitcoin and just see what happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a school. 
But uh, yeah, also what's interesting here, and I think uh, talking about stuff like we talked about the uh, about the international implications of legal tender law. There's another thing that that I wanted to touch upon, which is very interesting and very germane to what we're all doing here is um, we have to establish conversations with regulators. A lot of what we saw here in, in Salvador and now we're dealing with Guatemala is trying to get regulators comfortable with Bitcoin one, but also explaining to them how it works. Because at some point, let's say, let's, let's live in a world where Bitcoin is successful, right? And then you're asking all of these AML KYC questions, right? So the concept here is this. Are we gonna KYC AML our children? Because Bitcoin only lives digital. There's no physical representation of Bitcoin. You know, are, do you really wanna walk down that road where we're KYC five-year-olds? six-year-olds, teenagers, what does that do to their privacy? Because let's say I'm a dad, I want to teach my kids about money, not thick money, but money is now big, right? Do I have to go to a certain, you know, DMV-like place, get my kid a photograph so he can open a wallet? Yeah, that's a very important point, a very good point. And even so, something else that should be lean into. Think of the children. People always think that's it's one of the most strong, the strongest, one of the strongest arguments you can ever make to to get people's emotions going is what about the children? Bitcoiners need to start leaning into the children. No, and it, 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 it and it's really important because I think about that because I just had uh, my first kid, right? And I want to teach her about Bitcoin, and I want to give her some Bitcoin when. She's old enough, and I want her to be able to go to the store and spend the point and, you know, have their own lemonade stand, if you will. And am I going to be able to do that if we're KYCing everybody? Because right now, that's what we do, right? We have to KYC. There's no customer through our doors that doesn't fill out, like, 10 pages of paperwork. And are we going to do that with our kids? So I really encourage, I don't know if any regulators listen to your show, Mario, but I, I know I have an FBI agent. That's about it. Everybody's <laughs> listening and actually takes this question seriously because, because we have, and as a community, I think we should, you know, call our, you know, whoever we can that's in touch with the regulators and, and start having this discussion sooner than later uh, because it, it is going to be important. That's an extremely good point. Like we're, we're going to need to, to fight this battle early and often because, again, if, if we don't, we can fall into the despotic hell, hell trap of everybody's data just being out there and young people's data specifically. It's not... Well, and, if, if I can uh, do a quick, uh, I think I'm, I'm not stepping on anybody's toes here. Let me see, because most of the information here is public. I'll just help you uh, tie it up. Yeah, I think I can say this. 
So, um, I don't know if you recall when Chivo launched mm -hmm. that, you know, every transaction was, uh, had contained the name and the ID and I think even date of the person, birthday of the person who was making that transaction. I don't know if you recall that. Yeah, and then they switch it to Matt Alborg. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why that happened is because they didn't understand like in technology, the guys that were setting this up, right? And so they tried to use the memo field in Lightning to ID the transaction because that's what the law, not, not the law, but like the um, guidelines on how you have to handle uh, Bitcoin transactions said. That's what they drafted, what the regulators drafted in Sanoa. Like right now, if you go to, to, to the law in El Salvador and read it, the only reason they did that was because the regulators asked it. They told them that it had to be there in every transaction. And uh, imagine that security flaw, right? You, you have yourself. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. So, you played yourself. Yeah. And so, we, we, that's why we need to also teach regu regulators how this technology works, how, how it's different than, than what they're used to, and how we can, you know, get them comfortable with this because, you know, there's a lot of players. And if we really want to get this mainstream, everybody has to be comfortable with using Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fortunately, the just to finish that one up. Fortunately, the the regulations are there. Really, they're it's drafted on the use of cash, so you just have to like make them understand that Bitcoin on a Lightning uh, or Bit Bitcoin in general is actually did digital cash. It's straight up what Satoshi said is digital cash. So on a regulation side, you have to see it more as a digital cash version. And on cash, I mean, I can give my kid. Uh, five quetzales, which is our currency here, and he can go down to the store and, and, and buy it. He was KYC. So yeah. why why should digital cash uh, ask for this same thing if it's, just, you know, it brings the same purpose to it? So um, if you give them the hints and, and, and show them this is, you will already have it, just have to adapt it, then they feel comfortable. In general, I think, because we talk a lot about the technical side, but this is very um, human and as, as humans, uh, yeah, very social. First and foremost, we're humans and we need other humans to explain this to us. And, you know, we need to feel comfortable. And I think this is a shout out to all the Bitcoiners out there, man. You're not just holding Bitcoin for yourself. You're holding Bitcoin for the future generations and for the growth of, of humanity in itself. So go out and speak out and, and explain and be patient and, you know, don't, uh, don't be too cocky right now. <laughs> the ETFs are open and it's yeah. going to blow up. But. <laughs> and, and the other thing that I'm thinking a lot about is that we really, really have to start pushing back. And this is not only Bitcoiners, but I believe everybody should start pushing back against the criminalization of money. Mm -hmm. I believe right now you have a, a bill being proposed that every transaction over $600 gets reported um, to the IRS has to get reported at some level. 
you know, IRS or whoever, doesn't matter. The, the thing there is that if that assumes that every transaction above $600 is criminal. So where is the presumption of innocence in all this? I believe our laws were built upon presumption of innocence, if I'm not mistaken, I may be. They're supposed to be but, negative laws, negative rights, right? Exactly. And there's a very important reason for this, uh, and it's the following. It's very hard to prove a, a, it's very hard to disprove a negative. So for example, if I say, um, Marty loves to do coke and loves hookers, right? Oh, and well, I just go out much. and say that. <laughs> and, and, and then, shouldn't the onus be on me to prove that is the case? Because honestly, there's no amount of proof that you can present that it's going to be enough to satisfy that burden, which is what happens to companies. And that's why it takes years. We were talking at the beginning that companies here get, get um, sued by, by employees claiming to, with false or truthful claims. We don't know. But because the onus is on the, on the employer to prove his innocence, and that is almost impossible to do. If I say, for example, Marty, you owe me $100,000. Perfect. Why? Prove it. No, but if I'm automatically considered in the right, and you have to prove that you've never, A, had contact with me. B, I've never given you 100 k How do you do that? Yeah, you can just say, hey, I gave him a duffel bag full of cash. Like, yeah. I can't disprove that. You can't disprove it. And that's why we have, you know, we have to prove. And right now with this criminalization of money loss, they're switching, they're inverting that process. So it gets very hard. We don't have 70% on bank or 80% on bank in the world by accident. We have it we, because we have all of these laws that make it so hard to comply with that there are um, potential customers that just get left behind. It's too expensive to onboard them. If, for example, there's going to be a guy here in Guatemala that's going to be depositing $100 a month, maybe. Am I going to spend $200 onboarding him? Absolutely not. And that's why we have on bank. That's why we have on their bank. And that's why we have to understand what these laws are in effect doing. They're switching around the onus of the proof of innocence, right? Which is morally wrong in my estimation, right? And then it's making it very expensive to, you know, onboard customers very expensive. And so if we just take this new financial 21st century system and we need to onboard new people and we'll be able to onboard more people to a point, but we won't be able to onboard 100%. Because for example, here we have a law and I think this law was drafted you know, someplace in the US or wherever 
where everybody has a receipt, right? Everybody has proof of address. Right now, there's a bunch of people in Guatemala that cannot open a bank account because they don't have proof of address. Why not? They live in a village. There's no running water. There's no electricity. There's no addresses. There's no bills that go to their house. They have no proof of address. And we're killing them economically. Maybe not with a gun, but economically we're killing them. Yeah. We're leaving them behind. And now we have this wonderful technology that's able to solve this problem. But we're going to make the same mistake. We're going to make it criminal to own it. Unless you have proof of your existence. Well, Matt always yells at me when I do this. But that's why I love Bitcoin, right? Like, affords you the ability to peacefully disobey to to exert civil disobedience and like that's what i hope personally is and the, the villagers uh, in guatemala don't have proof of address and don't have the ability to get onboarded via traditional means just disobey they download a mobile wallet or whatever it may be and they just start accepting bitcoin and, and just thwarting the the onerous laws and here's the thing that i feel comfortable saying with this to you because i've already said it to the regulators and they understand. They want to help. Honestly, most regulators are not bad people. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure there may be some malicious guy somewhere that's like, ah, oh, you know, kind of like Doctor Evil. Well, well, your brother, your brother's doing that, so I wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember this from. I don't know if you had this cartoon. I'm going to probably date myself, but there was this cartoon uh, in the 80s of, of uh, a race. And they had this. Uh, do you remember the. <laughs> yeah, the world race. race. Like that? Amazing race? Amazing race. Yeah, that's the one. The amazing race. Something and like the that. Count, the, the Red Baron. Yeah, the Red Baron. So. Anyway, but we've talked to the regulators and we've explained these concerns to them because they are concerned. We're not saying, you know, ah, there should be no loss. It's not about that. It's about including all the disadvantaged people and having a pathway forward and establishing groundwork and a framework where we can actually um, service these customers, right? where, you know, underage people, where our children have access to Bitcoin, where the most important... There we go. I'm hosting a live streaming session here at the TFTC. Thank you for listening in. <laughs> that was a great, a great, a great um, loop. So, JP, <laughs> we're the new hosts of Tales from the Crypt. Are we still alive? <laughs> wow. We're real so proud of people. Uh, Marty, some hundred thousand subscribers now. <laughs> yeah, I hope I hope Marty comes back in. There you go. <laughs> I should have I should have known Esteban when you started fist pumping that the loop was going on. God damn it! Sorry, yeah, but it was fun. It was fun. <laughs> what the, what was the loop word? Uh, do 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 do. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I'm I'm buying a uh, a new laptop this week, so hopefully these problems stop. And of course, Jose was just in a, the middle of a very passionate. Yeah. Uh, 
We need passion speech. Yeah, Jose, you're joining us again. I'm sorry that that happened in the middle of your impassioned speech. He's connecting to audio, but I mean, I'll just echo what he was saying. Like it is important. We're at the, like we're transitioning into the digital age, right? Like, and we need to. I think regulators, politicians, whoever it may be, need to show some humility and understand. Hey, this isn't. We can't form fit the uh, regulations of the last century onto this this nation technology. I think it literally doesn't work. You're gonna make people worse off for it. Um, Jose, I'm sorry about that. No worries. I uh, I left just in case it wasn't my. That no, was me. That one was me. Um, oh, sorry. It's the TFTC okay. difference. So, so just to wrap up, what what I was completely thought is that we have to have a way to bring in, include everybody, basically, and um, and I think that regulators sometimes and not. Because they don't, uh, you know, they're, they want to be bad and they want to be like, oh, I don't want the guys in Guatemala to open a bank account, right? It's not that. It's just that they probably never thought of, didn't occur to them that there might be people living out there that have no proof of address. Mm-hmm. And so we have to voice our concerns in a reasonable manner, just like they do. Like their concerns are, what if this is being used for legal activities? Okay. Find a framework for them, but it has to be a framework that doesn't exclude people. It ha- there has to be a way. We have to get creative. We got to put our heads together, and there has to be a way where we can, you know, kind of marry that those things yeah. in the least harmful way. Yeah, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and that's one thing I've been trying to explain to people too, and really drive the point home is like those things like yes people may be buying drugs and doing illegal things with bitcoin but their illegal activities are external to bitcoin in a sense you need to focus on that external why are they committing crimes how are they able to um and where and when are they doing it and not throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to bitcoin uh and the ability to, to send and receive it for for every individual like you know, i think it's pretty safe to say that most people in the world are not drug dealers and that use case will be very minuscule compared to the uh the volume uh, of of illicit trade in the bitcoin network and that's already been proven like the, yep. the regulators here are anything like yeah it's not really used for illicit activities um People are just holding and on, and on the upside, we also have to look at what this presents, right? Like, okay, listen, those that's like the oh, bad part of it, right? But let's look at the good. Let's look at what's enabled by this technology, right? And so we have to really help them understand these dreams of, of seamless cross-border payments. And the thing is that right now we have this very narrow one band of international payments that are efficient. And that's between like $1,000 and $10,000 approx, right? And once you go look under $1,000, it gets very expensive really fast. And once you go over $10,000, it starts to get expensive and complicated, right? 
And so that's this. But imagine all of the, let's go lower bound. I'm not going to worry about big money. Let's worry about small money. So if we go lower bound and we can start doing $10 payments cross-border, what about $5 payments? What about half-dollar payments? What about less? Then you have to see that there's this opportunity for international commerce that was previously unavailable to most everybody, where you can have customers around the world, depending on the service or, or product you're delivering, where you can do micro payments, where you can do payments, nano charges, where you can actually stream money, depending on the service you're going to be delivering. And, and that opens a whole new world of opportunities. And if you add that, to all the creativity that's currently locked up because they don't have access to a bank account. Like I, I keep reading stories of kids from Africa that you know they developed this wind turbine because they needed water in their village, right? Something like that. Doesn't matter. But they didn't need a bank account. Imagine if they did. Imagine if they could have start interacting with the rest of the world on an economical level, the, the productivity explosion that could happen is going to dwarf anything we've seen so far. I completely agree. Like the industrial revolution had had a little, you know, they improved and there was an explosion of productivity and creativity. But now with this technology, with including, you know, 70, 80% of the world that's still waiting on the sidelines, so to speak. And we bring them in, that explosion is going to be, it's going to dwarf it, absolutely. And so let's not shoot ourselves in the foot. You know, that's all I'm saying. No, I completely co-sign that message too. And I, like in regards to remittance too, like I had this epiphany today. I had a family member who wanted to buy something and they were only accepting Bitcoin as payment and they didn't have, they're into Bitcoin, but they keep their stuff. Um, I'm not going to dox their security, but they didn't have access to uh, their Bitcoin and the ability to send a transaction. They just took a screenshot of a QR code and said, "Hey, can you pay this for me? I'll send you, I'll send you cash or or Bitcoin later." Um, and I just paid it for them, and so that like they're in a completely different state um, here in the U.S. And so that's just like an example. Imagine like remittance could get so granular that you have a family member in Guatemala who's going to the store to buy food, and they're like, "Hey." Can you pay for this real quick for me? And boom, done. Like, yeah. Imagine medicine. You have a medical emergency. You have your kid here, uh, your brother or, or, or father or whoever is in the U.S., and, and you have to have that medicine right now. You can go to the pharmacy and, and it could be paid instantly in the middle of the night. Yeah, it's insane. It's happening. It's happening. It is happening in El Salvador. I mean, micro remittances is going to put so much adoption and um, chipping into the you know financial inclusion thing because a lot of banks talk about financial inclusion and regulators and they use this as a big word, but I, I don't think they put into context the um, incentives. And I think one of the beautiful things about about Bitcoin and it's the incentives, right? It incentivizes you to good do good. And that's why you add value to the network whenever whoever joins in. And that's very difficult to do. 
But the incentive right now, as, as Jose was saying, for financial inclusion is just not there. It's, it's, and you have to be very blunt and honest about that. The financial inclusion is not working because there's no incentive to do so. Because the bank, the the bank, the business of the bank is, you know, to make money with more money. So why should they go to a region where there's no money? It just doesn't make logical sense. Now, if if in and in, in the economy right now, they're asking for you for financial inclusion. They're asking uh, a track record. So everything is is running on a track record. To get a loan, you need a track record of an income. <laughs> And if in on top of that track record, you still have to have a collateral, right? Some type of collateral to give. And then you have your income uh, track record. And on that is how you get your, your loan. And that's just absurd. I mean, you're leaving really most of human beings out. And if you switch that to Bitcoin, you can actually build your collateral slowly, very, very slowly. You can actually get to a point where you have enough collateral to, um, you know, get out a loan and, and work for yourself. Whilst your um, underlying collateral keeps on growing, you have a liquidity to act positively in your economy. So it's very simple. And I think when we do that jump, and it's going to happen, probably it's going to happen in El Salvador um, within, you know, one or two years with people hodling their, their, their Bitcoin. But when they realize they can do that jump, and when they start in that process where the first year is, you know, let's say I have 125% of my, my collateral, I have $25 to interact. But the next year, Bitcoin kept on growing, right? 200% in average. So now I have 75. Now it starts to get interesting. Mm -hmm. And from 75, I have 150. So that exponential growth throughout the years is going to make a big, a big change. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just patience and looking at the incentive structure and banks in El Salvador are think are starting to realize about this because it will be for them way more efficient to do, give out a loan backed by Bitcoin than, you know, backed by anything else. As simple as that. Uh, Jose, I want to tie this up with a concept that my brother, we used to throw out back then that we've really done a disservice to the younger generations with not teaching history mm -hmm. and with forgetting the lessons we've learned and i go back a lot to adam smith and to you know, bastiat there are a couple of very basic concepts that are easy to understand and as smith laid it out and it was a great observation that helped with the industrial revolution and it was that the baker does not make the be the bread for me because he is a good person if i'm paying him it doesn't matter what his if he's a good he's bad if he hits his wife or <laughs> the other three what matters is that he's incentivized to bake the bread for me because he sees a benefit from it and that this drives the economy this drives economic growth disincentive structures that let me thrive and by taking care of my own self-interest i am a part a valuable part of the community where i develop where i live and this type of incentives like having governments that lay the groundwork for people to voluntarily do uh, 
commerce or do their economic activity, this is what the government should do. They should not be going in there and dictating what's good, what's bad. They lay the groundwork, the incentives for people to voluntarily interchange their work, and this will make societies thrive. And then you, there, there's this uh, idea that Bastiat uh, mentions, and it's if you write the law in a way where you have to choose between acting morally or following the law, you'll send the, basically you'll send the society into chaos because both choices are detrimental to social well-being. And this is what we're setting up right now with the type of regulations we're doing. You either have to choose between acting morally and to me, doing voluntary interchanges of products and services. This is acting morally when it's voluntary and the two parties benefit. And you have to choose between either acting morally or following the law where you either have to provide a service that the person doesn't want or have to deny a service that the person wants because it is set in law, then we are furthering the social sickness that, and spreading social sickness around. So I think it's very positive that Bitcoin helps align people's incentives. And this is the main reason that government should embrace it because it will help them lay the groundwork for social incentives that are beneficial to the communities. Yeah, you're channeling uh, Adam Smith, Bastiat, and Thomas Jefferson. If a law is unjust, a man is not only right to disobey, he is obliged to do so. Um, and I think- and, it, That's and awesome. I think, I think I'm gonna have to leave them a little bit. So I just wanna wrap up with one last thought that I think uh, is important. And, uh, it's basically this, money is the bedrock upon which society is built. There's a bunch of reasons for this, but let's assume I'm correct. So money is the bedrock upon which society is built. And money is basically a tool that we use as human beings for a bunch of stuff. And, and the problem right now that we are seeing is that as we, um, debase our currency, as we attack the basic properties of money, which is, uh, you know, scarcity, fungibility, transferability, or portability, and all these uh, divisibility, fungibility. We attack the basic properties of money, which is what we're doing right now with obviously the debasement with the printing of money it's no longer scarce. Uh, with all the KYC AML regulations and it's no longer fungible, no longer divisible, no longer all of this stuff. We're attacking, we're eroding the bedrock upon which society is built. And we do that at our own peril because the crumbling of society, how the M Roman Empire fell was precisely because of this. And they only attacked scarcity and uh, I believe transportability. Those were the two only. Now we're attacking all five at the same time. <laughs> all of the rumblings across societies, across the world, I'm convinced have to do with the erosion of money as a tool. 
And so that's, uh, you know, that saying, fix the money, fix the world. It's 100% true. And why is that? It's because money is the ultimate agent of peace. Without, without money, the only way to get what you want is through violence. I, again, oh. I don't want to... Uh... I don't want to, I feel like I said, I completely agree a lot of times in this, in this episode, but I do completely agree with that. And I think that's a powerful message. We got to stop attacking the rock of human civilization and, and begin getting freedom enabling tools, which Bitcoin is, uh, into more people's hands, not only a freedom enabling tool, but a tool that fixes the money, like you just said. And I couldn't be happier. Uh, to know that we have gentlemen like yourselves working to build these tools out and the infrastructure out to to get Bitcoin into more individuals' hands in, in Guatemala, El Salvador, and beyond. So I just want to just give a, an immense uh, shout out of gratitude to you guys. Like, thank you for doing what you do. Like I said earlier in the episode, um, I had like somewhat of an epiphany talking to Carlino, hearing about what you guys are building. And I think you guys are building infrastructure in the correct way. And I'm just really excited to see how, what you're building proliferates uh, in El Salvador and Guatemala and, and beyond again. And, and how that not only helps Bitcoin, but helps the individuals, um, in Central America leveraging it. So you guys are doing God's work down there. Thank you for coming on. Sorry for the technical difficulties, of course. This is TFTC. We're going to have some tef- technical difficulties, but it, it is always embarrassing. And um, I'm pumped that we were able to do this on such short notice. So I don't know if you guys have anything you, you want to end it on. Uh, Jose, just give a very impassioned uh, uh, <laughs> speech there. Uh, another one. Right. I think that's cool. Yeah. I think that's it's difficult to follow that one. It's very, very difficult. But I, I think that's why we do what we do. And we do it very passionately, as you can see. So um, everybody reach out. We have our Twitter and everything. Ivex, uh, Mercado, if you guys want to reach out and talk. We're very active on Twitter. And we're on Instagram as well. And um, yeah, looking forward to, to grow this. This is, it's a very interesting time to be alive. I'm impressed. Like, I'm just, you know, full of gratitude. It's hard not to wake up every day and be excited. Um, I think I woke up and I was like, oh, I'm talking with the Ibex Mercado guys at 11 a.m. Let's go. Uh, yeah, awesome. Uh, um, yeah. Thank you, Marty. Uh, thank I want to shout out to the people at Bitcoin Beach. I always like to say that uh, the guys in El Salvador, what they did was truly groundbreaking. And they did their, their part and they're still doing it and now it's time for us to add to the work they're doing we're in living through a monetary uh, uh what's the word the uh, diluvio uh, uh, monetary deluge is that a word revolution when, when it rains a lot deluge deluge, deluge. yes yeah we're we're living through that and now we're building noah's ark <laughs> 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 to protect everybody from it and we're trying to bring as many of the animals that we can on board <laughs> <laughs> starting by ourselves so join in guys uh, pitch in and it's been a pleasure marty thanks for the time yeah Pleasure's been and, all mine. Uh, myself, two shout-outs. First, uh, basically to all of the Lightning community, I don't have time right now to go over everybody, 
uh, who helped us. Um, we have to realize that Lightning being a success or the success that it is in El Salvador, it wasn't just us, it was everybody because honestly, we reached out, the first thing we did was we reached out to them, like Juan said, the Lightning Lab guys, CDB, CEOs, uh, Wallet of Satoshi, uh, too many to count, Bitcoin Beach, of course. And uh, honestly, everybody in Lightning came in, they pitched in, we're standing on the shoulders of giants uh, as any good project. And then, so that's one shout out I wanted to give. And the other one I'd be remiss if I didn't shout out Greg Foss, who's been so kind to us. He's uh, been awesome yeah. as, a, as a counselor, uh, as somebody that we can lean on to get his perspective and who's just been awesome in the space as well. And uh, we love him very much at ABX. And I think, uh, you know, uh, he, I yeah. think you guys have talked a couple of times. Boss is the boss. I'm <laughs> loving for Greg Foss to officially take on Jose as a mentor. Official <laughs> <So they can laughs> mentorship with Greg, and that would be great. <laughs> so Greg, thanks for everything. Shout out to Greg Foss, the boss, doing doing the Lord's work from uh, from Canada. Gentlemen, um, yeah. it's been a pleasure. Again, thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for joining me, and keep fighting the good fight. I think we're going to win with people like you uh, on Bitcoin side. I think we're going to win. Um, we will. That's all we got this week, freaks. Peace and love. Bye bye.